0: From
1: KQED. Hey everyone, I'm Emmanuel.
2: I'm Carly. And I'm Jamidra.
1: And we're the hosts of The Cooler, the Cooler. your weekly dose of pop culture commentary. Today we are lucky enough to be joined by Karina Longworth, the mastermind behind You Must Remember This, a wildly popular podcast you should totally be listening to, which is dedicated to the secret and forgotten histories of Hollywood. She's tackled everything from the Manson murders to the Hollywood blacklist to Frank Sinatra's little-known space rock opera. So we're excited to get into all the Hollywood dirt with her today. Welcome to The Cooler, Karina.
2: Thanks for having me. Of course. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. For someone who's never listened to You Must Remember This, how would you characterize it in a nutshell?
0: Well, when I was first doing it and I was trying to explain to people the concept behind it, I said that it was This American Life meets Hollywood Babylon. (laughs) But that's not really accurate. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it sort of gets you in the ballpark, but it's a little bit different than both of those things because Hollywood Babylon is, you know, this famous book of basically Hollywood rumor. And what I do is I try to read everything I can read about a given subject and try to figure out, like, between these different conditions, Conflicting stories and competing narratives, like what feels the most honest. And then, you know, This American Life has multiple contributors and it has like this very specific style. And I tell all the stories myself on my show. So it's it's very much in my own voice. I need like a bowl of popcorn, a glass of wine in a fireplace. Like this is totally <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like a throwback old timey radio show. And I love it. Mm-hmm. So like what inspired you to go for that particular vibe and sort of like break away from traditional public media format? I mean, all I can say is that I heard what the show should sound like in my head before I ever made it and then it was just a question of trying to replicate the sound that I heard in my head and Mm. I knew that I wanted it to feel like something that you would stumble on on a radio station when you were on like a long road trip and it would sort of feel like this broadcast either from the past or from outer space or (laughs) from the great beyond you know it would feel almost like a seance was happening like conjuring up this world that doesn't exist anymore.
1: So you're basically like the Joan of Arc of podcasting like you're hearing voices and you're like I must go on this mission and I must Fill this through my work
0: yeah let's go with that
1: yeah <laughs> joan of arc of podcasting tm yes So before the podcast, you wrote a lot of film criticism for various publications and you decided to break away from all that and kind of create your own lane and focus more on work that pleases you rather than some editor. I'm just very inspired by that. And I was wondering if you have any tips on how to trust yourself that much to break away from a traditional medium like that and and do something untested and see if it works.
0: Well, I've never been able to stay at a job that wasn't working for me. You know, I... I kind of put myself through school working in restaurants and in food stores and stuff like that. And I guess I was never really that bothered by that kind of work, so I've always felt like worst case scenario I could go back to that. So I was never I've never been afraid to quit a job, you know, even like a well paying job that where I was treated pretty well if it wasn't working out for me. So I was working at the LA Weekly. I was their film critic, but it was an incredibly stressful job. I didn't like the lifestyle and I was just finding myself not that interested in new Hollywood movies and Increasingly, I was really, really interested in this old Hollywood stuff, you know? So I just figured that it really didn't have that much to lose to quit my job and try to do the stuff that I was interested in because to me, like, failure was what I was doing because it was making me so unhappy.
1: I love what you said about the opinion economy and when you're writing about current films or when you do what I do for a living which is write about pop culture there is this tendency to feel pressure on having an opinion about everything and you need to really believe in it even though it's happening right in that moment can you tell us what that experience was like for you well, working for LA Weekly? When you're
0: when you're a film critic you know for a current publication you may not write a review of every movie but you are expected to see almost every movie and have an opinion about it and you know broadcast those opinions either on Twitter or, you know, I mean, very few critics just work for one publication. Like often you're trying to like cobble together some kind of living out of like writing and like doing radio maybe or doing TV or, you know, just doing all these different places where people are like paying you for your opinions or expecting you to have opinions. And I just felt like I was on this treadmill that I couldn't get off of, (laughs) you know, like where I was expected to see like 10 to 12 movies a week and have something to say about all of them. And, you know, my editors really expected those things to be, you know, controversial, if possible. (laughs) The hot
2: take of Yeah, Yeah.
0: And I just, I mean, I love movies and still I'm probably only interested in 40 to 50 movies a year. I was expected to at least pretend to care about a lot more than that. And it was just exhausting.
1: Yeah. Sometimes you just don't care that much. I feel that way a lot where people are like, oh, why haven't you written about blah? That just happened today. And I'm like, I just don't care. I'm sorry. Just not that into
2: it. No. I'm going to use my time better than that. And of all the stories that you you uncover in the podcast episodes, because there are a lot of episodes, I have to say, um, which would you recommend that people start with? Like, which one is is particularly dear to your heart?
0: Well, I think that the star that I feel that maybe the most connected to is Judy Garland. I basically studied her work almost exclusively in graduate school. And um, I've done a couple of episodes about her. In a lot of ways, her story is one of the quintessential Hollywood tragedies. You know, I mean, being a child actor who is supporting your family and is being deprived of a traditional childhood. And of course, in exchange, you get wealth and you get treated very well and you get to do this thing that you love to do. But in Judy Garland's case, you know, all of the stuff that she was doing for work, like led pretty directly to several addictions which she was never able to overcome. And, you know, she ends up basically not being able to, like, live any kind of traditional life, like, not have, like, real relationships. And then she dies relatively young, like, from her addictions, which, again, you can trace back to her
2: growing up within the industry. It's funny you say that because a couple of weeks ago we actually had Mara Wilson, who was the the child actress star of uh, Matilda and Mrs. Doubtfire. She came into the studio for a podcast recording with us to talk about a book that she'd written about being a child star. The things that she had to say about what that was like growing up under that lens. She was kind of so funny and also like super bittersweet as well. And not kind of trying to draw any comparisons with her and Judy Garland, obviously. But you kind of think (laughs) that so much has changed, and then at the same time, not a lot really has Mm. as well. Her tales from the set are very interesting, I'll say that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but
1: Go listen to the podcast episode, people who haven't. (laughs) She was actually really great. She has a lot to say. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of our podcast, since we're already here doing the self-promo, we did a segment on Betty Davis and Joan Crawford and the feud there after Ryan Murphy said that he was going to have a series called Feud about all the stuff Mm -hmm. that went on between them. And some accounts say that truly hated each other. Some say they played up the rivalry for publicity and others say it was a little of both. After all your research on both of these women, what do you believe is closest to the truth?
0: I think that they did not go into the making of whatever happened to baby Jane. Hating each other. I think that they just didn't know each other very well and weren't best friends. Um, And I do think that they were encouraged to play up this idea of a rivalry in the promotion of the movie. But then when they were cast together in this follow-up to that film, which ended up being the movie Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte, that's when it seems like there was a real-life rivalry on set, and both of them thought that the other one was sort of working against them. And, you know, that fight ended with Betty Davis winning because Joan Crawford dropped out of the movie.
1: Yeah, I remember reading about how she thought that Betty Davis was conspiring with the director to just make her life more difficult and dull her shine or whatever. And so, yeah, it's just fascinating to read all that went on between them. I take it with a grain of salt because some of the things that are reported as being said, like Betty Davis's maybe famous quote, I don't know if she said it, saying you should only say good things about dead people, not bad. Joan Crawford is dead good or something like that. And I was just like, that, that seems <laughs> was, like unbelievable. The shade. <laughs> the shade. It seems too much. And she said much.
0: this after Joan died?
1: That's what the legend says. Some people say, you know, gossip writers conjured that up. Other people say that she said it to a gossip writer. So we'll never know, really.
0: I mean, that honestly, like, it doesn't sound like something that Betty Davis wouldn't say. Right. <laughs> I, I haven't heard that quote before.
1: So you've compared their feud to the social media war between Kanye and Taylor Swift. Ooh, how are they similar?
0: Well, to me, uh, Kanye is the Betty Davis and Joan Crawford is the Taylor Swift. And I say this, you know, <laughs> with as, as much empathy as I can for everybody involved, but nothing but love I for basi- everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I basically came upon this analogy when I was reading these quotes from Betty Davis about Joan Crawford and she admitted that she couldn't resist making fun of this woman and like doing things to antagonize her because of the way that Joan Crawford reacted. She knew that she was going to get a reaction from Joan and then it would make a news story and it would raise the profile of both of them. And I see this happening with Kanye and Taylor, where it's like Taylor keeps being like, leave me out of this. I don't want any part of this. And Kanye just cannot resist like continuing to poke her because then it creates more media and it ends up creating more attention for both of them.
2: Do you subscribe to the theory that they are secretly in cahoots behind mm. the scenes? Like they're texting each other. <laughs> privately saying like let's do it tuesday let's kick off with each other tuesday <laughs> so when is the snapchat yeah. dropping <laughs> okay I mean, doesn't it I
0: sound don't know about though? that i mean t- to me like it seems like a lot of what kanye does comes out of genuine emotion but then there's also things that seem calculated and i can't say that i understand much of what taylor swift does so <laughs> Whoa, you-
2: I like you. What are you talking (laughs) about? Emmanuel is the resident Taylor Swift superfan. Yeah, it's a full-time
1: job defending her against these two and everyone else in the world.
2: (laughs) Someone has to do it. It seems like you do follow contemporary pop culture then, and I don't know why I had this impression that you perhaps, in your focus on classic Hollywood and Hollywood's first century, would be less engaged with what happens now. I'm not quite sure why I would ever have had that perception. Like, do you read the weekly magazines? Do you go online and follow what is happening?
0: Um... I think that I am as aware of it as any adult in their late thirties would be, <laughs> which is to say, like a lot of times, you know, I don't even know who these people who are supposed to be famous are. Oh, that's like the I probably, worst. <laughs> like I prop, but I mean, even people who are like really famous who do things, like I probably had like <laughs> heard the name and seen the face of Drake like two years before I heard a Drake song. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not that active in it at all, but I am a fan of. Kanye West music, you know, so it's that's something where I am like pretty aware of what he does. I'm probably like 75% devoted to like old tabloids (laughs) and, you know, only sort of like 25% involved in like what's happening today.
1: So you've written online in the past and maybe because of that experience, you've said that you don't particularly like the internet. So I was wondering what your favorite and least favorite parts about always being connected to this big monolith of the worldwide Are.
0: I've really taken myself away from it a lot. I mean, I the only social media I have is Twitter and I don't have it on my phone. Yeah, I just I don't participate that much, to be honest. Like, I see it as like a sort of a necessary evil in order to find out about news, to sort of find out about you know, things that are going on in the world and then also to tell people about what I'm doing um, in terms of my work and in terms of like, you know, helping people sort of find movies and things like that that I think are really exciting that they would like. But I just it, it feels like it's just sucking my brain dry <laughs> every time I spend time on the Internet. And so I I have to, you know, step away and like not have access to it all the time because otherwise I just won't get any work done.
1: Right. Like reading about all the yeah. research that's required of all of your episodes and how... Until recently, you were editing it and scripting it and being the voice on it. I was wondering, like, how you made all that happen, and I guess it's deleting the apps from your phone, <laughs> not going on yeah. Facebook, like and we all we are unable to do. Yes, I just <laughs> unable.
0: Yeah. When I was doing all of the editing and stuff myself, like it was more than a full time job. It was working like at least fifty hours a week just on the podcast, Ugh. and it was just, that was just not sustainable. So <laughs> now I, I, luckily, I have help, and like luckily, the podcast has you know good advertising, and so it's it's a lot more sustainable than it used to be. But I've taken, I've used like the quote unquote free time that I have, like just to write a book, which I'm working on. So, oh yeah, you tell I us just, about the book. I, I'm still like mostly work all the time. Mm-hmm. The book is basically it doesn't have a title yet and it's it's still relatively early in the process, so I don't want to say too much about it, but it's basically about the women in Howard Hughes's life. And mm-hmm. it was inspired by a series of podcast episodes I did. But, you know, I think the podcasts were a little bit more about the romance elements or at least like the sex elements. <laughs> and uh, the book is going to go a lot deeper into like what these women's careers were like and what they were like before Howard Hughes entered their lives and how he kind of meddled positively or negatively and then what they were like sort of
2: when he had left their lives.
1: Interesting. I will be reading. Okay.
2: I want to talk a little bit about the Charles Manson series, actually, because I'm interested to know whether it's a bit of a double-edged sword for you. And by that, I mean, obviously, the 12-episode the, the series you did about Charles Manson in Hollywood, which is the way a lot of people have come across your podcast recently. And mm-hmm. I just wondered how you feel about about that being the kind of entree to your work for a lot of people. I'm fine with it. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm really proud of that work.
0: Um, and I know it it is a little bit more contemporary than a lot of the stuff I talk about. And so if that's like the gateway drug that gets people to then listen to these stories about <laughs> the 1930s or about movie stars that they've never heard of, I'm totally fine with that. I mean, I just you know, I guess maybe I should just let people know that most of my podcast episodes are not about murder. <laughs> um, and I know that people do seem to like to listen to things about murder. This is true. Um, this is true. Um, so I don't want to disappoint them.
1: Yeah. I feel like a lot of my friends who they're like, oh, I just got into podcasting. I'm like, oh, what do you listen to? And they're like, well, definitely serial. Yeah, And right. then they just list all of the murder podcasts. Mm-hmm. The murder genre. So it's yeah. smart that you have a whole series on that. We should probably think of Something similar, <laughs> sort of like. Murdoi I recently. think like, this uh, could
2: really be the key to our success, <laughs> long-term <laughs> sustainability. Yeah, I mean, I I have
0: actually thought about doing a series of episodes, and like it would be tasteless to call it this, but to do a series of episodes about dead blondes. Oh, oh, my God, like, oh. oh. A, we were just talking about of, blondes in Hollywood. <laughs> you know, there's all these. I mean, I've always actually wanted to do a series about like the history of blondeness in Hollywood, but you know, every every great blonde of the golden era also died and a lot of them died sort of tragically
1: that series would get real interesting around 1939 to 1945
0: I hope that that you are working on that or you have started outlining that because that is something I would definitely listen to (laughs) okay noted
1: (laughs) in addition to murder and, and blondes You've also explored the idea of movie stars being turned into symbols that are like larger than life and you like comparing and contrasting that with their real lives and who they really were. I was wondering if there's a movie star that you think is vastly different than the public perception of who this person was.
0: You know, I just I think that in the studio system, almost every star had a manufactured persona. Um, so there is going to be a lot of different ways in which their real life was different or maybe even surpri- it would have been surprising to people. And certainly like there were huge teams at a lot of these studios who worked to hide details of people's personal lives and, you know, what they would do outside of the studio grounds. But, yeah, I, I don't think that there's necessarily like one person.
2: It's more like it's this whole Syndrome like era. It's, it's like all of them. It's an epidemic <laughs> yeah. of cover-ups. Actually, talking about the people who are employed to cover things up, what did you think of the movie um, *Hail Caesar*, the Coen Brothers movie recently?
0: I really enjoyed it. I really love Alden Ehrenreich, who played like the young cowboy. But, yeah, it's, I mean, Josh Brolin plays a guy who was a real guy, Eddie Mannix, mm. who was reportedly a gangster from New Jersey, who became the fixer at MGM Studios. But he was also the chief officer of operations. Um, you know, he had a really high level executive job there and he ran all of the accounting for the studio as well. So he did do things like get movie stars out of jail and cover up abortions. <laughs> but he he also did like a lot of like regular office work as well. Um, <laughs> a lot of clowns so was his day job and then his after (laughs) hours job. (laughs) Yeah. I think that the version of Eddie Mannix that Josh Brolin played was quite different from the version that I've read about and that I did a podcast episode about. He was definitely more of a sympathetic guy. Mm A less sympathetic portrayal is the one that uh, Bob Hoskins did in a movie called Hollywood Land from 10 or 15 years ago, which is about um, the suicide slash possibly murder of George Reeves, who played Superman on TV.
1: Murder again.
0: Okay. Well, it comes back. the theme here. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so you got your BFA in film from the San Francisco Art Institute. We are recording from San Francisco. Mm. We're based here. <laughs> so I was wondering, when you think of San Francisco, what comes to mind?
0: It's so beautiful. Um, It's like a breathtakingly beautiful city. Uh, I remember like when I was living there when I was 20 years old, I I was like making these short experimental films for school and I made one called Vertigo that was about like the experience of like trudging up a hill. And then getting to the top and just like like literally having your breath taken away by the walk, but so you know, San Francisco. Like, yeah, <laughs> familiar also with just that experience. Like feeling, kind of like dizzy looking at the beauty of the bay and everything, you know. So
1: European and so lovely, which is why we live here.
0: <laughs> so in great short, restaurants, San oh, Francisco takes your breath away, pretty much <laughs> takes my breath yeah. away. Do you come back here often? No, not really. I, oh, come I on, it's like an hour of, on the flight. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm actually, I am going to spend some time in wine country um, at, for New Year's this year. Um, so, I'm, I'm <laughs> so i So I'm a whiny person. I spend some time in Napa here and there. But I, yeah, I mean, I haven't spent a lot of time
2: in San Francisco since I moved away. Wait, so have we just uncovered the idea that the secret to your podcasting success is a glass of wine?
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, I will. I've probably recorded like two or three episodes after having had a glass of wine, but for the most part, uh, no. <laughs> I was wondering about that, like what your vibe is like in the studio when
2: you're recording.
0: Um, I'm because well, I'm not trained to use my voice at all. It's been a, a really Difficult process over the past couple of years figuring out how to do it. Um, Definitely for the first six months to a year, I would record an episode. And, you know, my episodes are usually about 40 minutes long. And so, with, you know, bad takes and (laughs) redos and stuff like that, it usually takes me about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes to record an episode. So, by the end of that, in the beginning, I would just be completely winded. I wouldn't be able to function to do anything else for the rest of the day or the night because um, I didn't know how to breathe and I didn't know how to use my voice. Mm. And I had to teach myself how to do that over time. So I don't think drinking alcohol helps. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I definitely have to drink a lot of water. Sometimes I'll have like, you know, a glass of like lemon water or like um, I'll like sip some hot broth like 30 minutes before I record or something like that. You get to have a cocktail after. Ah.
1: Okay. Um, I wish you had given us that memo before we recorded this episode because <laughs> we're all drinking wine right now. Aww, and we would have offered jealous. you some if you were here. Yes, um, yeah. But I, I read that your studio was actually a bathroom in your house with the, the yeah. toilet wasn't working. And so you're like, let me convert this into a studio that I can use. That's
0: mm-hmm.
2: Gorilla Podcasting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, when the toilet was working and I was using it as a bathroom, um, I had like built this sort of cubicle in my home office out of these folding curtains. Um, I had sort of lined them with felt and I would stand in this like tiny little box that I had made for myself. But it wasn't very good. Um, Where I live, there's like a lot of helicopter noise and stuff like that. Mm. And I would have to stop every time something flew over. So when the bathroom kind of went out of commission, I was like, let me give this a try. And it's turned out to be really good.
1: All right, so who has the biggest bathroom here? Like, let's mm,
0: let's I'm move this tell operation. You tell me, <laughs> I think probably me. Actually. Toilet fully operational. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to. I bust mean, this bathroom problem. is very very small. I mean, definitely, if I ever had like a guest on the show,
2: only one person would be able to record at a time. That, who that would it? be hilarious. Like, right. Do you want to be on my podcast? Come <laughs> into my bathroom. <laughs> Wait. So we've been so positive. I want to take it back to some real negativity. <laughs> what is <laughs> just. just the one genre in movies today that you have never connected with—you know, these movies keep coming out, and you just you see them coming out, and you think, "I'm never going to want to see that."
0: I don't really get Marvel movies. <laughs> um, I've I've just never been interested in those comic books, and um, I've I guess I'm like completely out on them now. I tried to watch the second Avengers on an airplane, and I got like 20 minutes in. And uh, I, I Ooh, don't well, think funny. it was the the last uh, the last Captain America. I think it was the second Captain America. People were like, "This is like a movie from the 70s. And uh,
2: <laughs>
0: the the thirteen minutes of it that I was able to watch were not like a movie You're from like, the not 70s. so much, not so, so much.
1: My friend recently told me you have to watch Captain America because there's a subtle homoerotic subplot
2: it's not so subtle i'll tell you that well i haven't seen it so i I don't
1: know but i was like okay i'm here for this so it's it's linked up and i'm ready to go into it but if it's not gay i'm gonna be mad Mm.
2: (laughs) it's not good i'll say that actually that's my
1: that's my tagline for all things in life if it's not gay i'm gonna be mad actually (laughs) so your podcast is currently on hiatus so can we get any hints for what you have on deck for the next season
0: well, it's not going to be until January. Quite honestly, I don't know what it's going to be. Um, it might be Dead Blondes. I'm saying. Yeah. That, I, I, I've already put that in my mind that the that's what's happening. The more I think so, about this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, think I it mean, it, what, what that would probably involve is like r- sort of retreading some territory I've already covered, you know, like I've already done an episode about Jean Harlow and a few of those people, but I might be able to do like slightly different
2: episodes on those people to tie it all into the theme. Um, <laughs> I guess there's also but, the concern yeah. that it would become like the albatross around your neck you know you would be forever the dead blonde lady (laughs) oh i don't like the way that sounds
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know hopefully the the body of work can loom larger than any specific story or or episode but um i there's worse things to be than the dead blonde lady (laughs) Um,
1: so we're gonna end with a lightning round yes so if you could be haunted Serious questions here. Oh,
2: Halloween questions! <laughs> only there we ser- go. only serious questions here, obviously.
1: If you could be haunted by any old Hollywood star, who would you want it to be?
0: Maybe Marlena Dietrich. Ooh, that's I feel a good like one. she would be like a fun sort of ghost to have, like in your bedroom at night, yeah. <laughs> she would tell you stories, and like help you like lay out your outfit for the next day, and like you know that she'd give you good <laughs> advice. <laughs>
1: such a helpful ghost. Right? She's giving Casper yeah. a run for his money. She
2: could appear in your bathroom and fix your toilet. Exactly.
1: <laughs> if you had to live in one movie, which would it be?
0: Oh. Oh gosh, maybe Casablanca, just because oh. it it's so romantic yeah. and uh, it's, you know, like that sort of version of of adventure and intrigue is is more my style than anything that's sort of modern.
1: Mine's clueless. <laughs> I just want a fuzzy pen, and I just want to go to random clubs as a 16-year-old. And you sharing? Clueless. Are you sharing this version? Well, I don't have a stepbrother to fall in love with, so I'll have to be uh-huh. someone else. Okay. Just if. <laughs> 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 Word association.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: Mel Gibson.
0: Oof.
1: Sorry. <laughs> Tequila Sunrise. <laughs> okay. James Cameron.
0: Uh... Water.
2: Yeah, sounded. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's
1: better than my response, which would have been douchebag.
2: Oh! <laughs> oh! 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 My response for James Cameron is Catherine Bigelow. <laughs> oh,
0: smarter than mine. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> and finally, where everything ends these days, Kim Kardashian.
0: Ooh, oh, oh, glamorous. Wow. Uh, glamorous. Glamour, Ooh, that's good one. Positive, yeah.
1: We end every episode with a song, so. What have you been listening to recently, or what, what song do you think is right for today?
0: Well, yeah, I think like a lot of people, when David Bowie died, I kind of went back to his catalog and listened to albums that I hadn't listened to in a long time. And um, one of his albums that became kind of like one of my regular plays, you know, favorite albums is Young Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's go with my favorite song from that album, which is called Somebody Up There Likes Me. Oh, Good choice. Mm -hmm. Yes, perfect
2: choice.
1: (laughs) Well, we look forward to your Maybe Dead Blondes series. Also your book about Howard Hughes and the return of your podcast, Everyone who's listening, go subscribe right now. If you know what's good for you, it's called You Must Remember This. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for joining us today, Karina. Thanks
0: for having me. Thanks to our
2: podcast papa,
1: David Marcus. Thanks to Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs for our amazing theme song that you hear at the beginning of the show.
2: Thank you to Howard Gelman Behind the Glass.
1: And thanks to Jay Simpson for helping me edit. Please subscribe on iTunes. Also rate us if you like us. If you don't, um, you never heard this. Until next week, find us on social media. I am excuse my beauty without the first D on Twitter.
2: I am at teacup in the bay. I am at Jemidra says.
1: Follow us. Favorite our stuff. Reach me. Bye. Bye.
2: Bye.